Welcome to Equipus Christchurch. Equipus Church is a whole lot of friends championing one another to go higher in Christ. For more details, check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. I am loving this series, What Works. I think it's really easy when we're thinking about what it is to be a Christian, what it is to follow Jesus, to think about what should I do rather than what works. What what are the things that lead me into a life that is leaning into the presence of God? What are the things that lead me to a life that is uh, leaning into the good things he has for me, that is allowing me to to flourish and enter into all of that? And and that's the stuff that we've been talking about. And today, as Pastor John, I said, I'm I'm talking about the idea that Scripture works. And, And Scripture, so Scripture is just a fancy word for the Bible, pretty much. Uh, Reading your Bible is one of those spiritual practices or spiritual disciplines, things that Christians do, that it's very easy to get legalistic about. Um, I think as human people, we just love getting about legalistic about anything that we can, because we just like being judgy deep down. (laughs) If we're honest, I know it's not just me. Uh, But reading your Bible is something, because it's so measurable, it's so tangible, it's really easy to get legalistic about it. And I reckon I'm not the only one who's thought to themselves, I'm doing quite good with my Bible reading at the moment, I feel like a good Christian. Or, equally, I'm I'm really not doing very good with my Bible reading, I'm not a good Christian. Has anyone felt like that before? Yeah? Yeah? I don't know where you'd place yourself today, that doesn't matter. But we do use how much of your Bible you're reading as a measure of assessing our spiritual performance. There are so many things wrong with that phrase, assessing, performance, measuring. That's not why we read Scripture. We read Scripture because it works, because it gives us life. It helps us to understand who we are, who people are, how we work, who God is. How do we get into relationship with him? How do we get on with other people? How do do we relate to the earth? How do we discover our meaning and purpose and vocation in life? How do I be a good parent? How do I I deal with this traumatic incident in my life? Scripture has got all of the the life-giving answers in that for those big questions within it. But it can feel a little bit impenetrable at times. It's just kind of hard to get into. You might have heard the phrase um, Bible, B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth. Come across that one. Um, If it is, it's a manual that has been poorly translated. Have you ever bought like flat pack furniture? And um, you read the manual and you're like, oh, what? And you think this has been put through Google Translate like three times before it's made its way into English. And I do not get this diagram. Like if this are the basic instructions, they could have been written a lot more clearly. They really honestly could. And we're going to delve a little bit into that. But the question I, that I'm, I, I wanted to kind of lay plain before us, which I think is probably already in your heart as well, if you've been following Jesus for a wee while and, and trying to read the Bible is, so if there's all this good stuff in it, how do I get at it? And I want to say to you today, you need to get at it by coming at it less like you're reading a manual and more like you're having a feast. It's a lot more like eating. In Jeremiah 15, uh, the prophet writes, he says to God, when your words came, I ate them. 
They were my joy and my heart's delight, for I bear your name, Lord God Almighty. Your words came to me and I ate them. Ezekiel has a similar thing. He has this like vision. He gets a scroll and he eats it. And I like to think, is it a cinnamon scroll? It's, it's probably not. It's like a, it would have been though. No, it was like a, how they had books, old fashioned books. So he speaks of words, Jeremiah and Ezekiel. He speaks of the word of God being something to absorb into him, to delight in, that he's relishing, he's savoring. And this is so different to the way that we often read the Bible or study the Bible as this really like analytical, uh, academic kind of thing, or just like, I've got to take it off my list if I'm going to be a good Christian. Read it, read it. You know, whether you're flipping pages or you're scrolling in your app, oh, right, got to the end of that chapter, cool, tick that off my list done what's required for me to be a good Christian today. And, and we're going to delve into a little bit about how do we read Scripture with this, this metaphor of a meal, thinking about it as a feast. Because Scripture works if you eat it slowly, if you savour it, if you chew over it. You sit with it, you let it flesh it out, you reflect on it, you meditate on it. And it's a, it's a different way of eating. It's the kind of eating that... Like my, my dad, for example, um, is not a man who enjoys food particularly. My mum always used to say, it's just like fuel, food is just fuel to him, just energy. And if it was in the fridge and it needed eating, he could put it in a sandwich. And sometimes you'd be like, I'd be like, what have you put in there? He's like, oh, I just needed eating. And let's be honest, having someone like that in your family is quite helpful because they eat the stuff in the back of the fridge. But he was never like, wow, this is a delicious you know, meal. Like it's just... It's not where the joy lies for him. Uh, but we are supposed to be eating scripture, not just as fuel that we get into us, but as a delight. We've got to eat it slowly. So why slowly? Well, first of all, because there is so much richness in scripture. If we move below, beyond like a quick, just reading the surface, we need to give it time and attention to unearth it, um, to attend to it. Uh, to understand the richness, but we also need to give it time to allow it to sink deep into us, to let it really soak into us. So, thinking about Scripture is something we need to unearth. This idea that the Bible might be basic constructions before leaving earth is, is good in that it gets across the idea that it's, there's application, there's, there's stuff that you put into practice, it's not just ideas. But it's not really a manual. The Bible is a worldview. It's a big story. It's a people that we need to soak ourselves in and be steeped in. And the Bible is often really confusing for this reason. Uh, in the New Testament, which is like the second half of the Bible, which is, so Jesus appeared, what's happened when he's here, and then going on with the early church. It's, it's a very hurried stories in there. Like the, the, the stories of what happens, the accounts, they're stripped back. There's not a whole lot of detail. We've got these bunch of letters that were written to churches, and we've got those, and that's great. But you're like, but who were these people? What, why is he saying this stuff about that? And what's that got to do with this? And what's going on there? You know, there's no explanatory notes. There's no introduction. Luckily, a lot of very smart people have done the work for you. Uh, and a good study Bible is a great start to helping you understand that. But it's really stripped back. You know, there's these amazing stories of Jesus did something, but it's like covered in 50 words. When you're like, that could have been a novel. And similarly, in the Old Testament, so the first half of the Bible before Jesus comes, particularly about God's special people, the Israelites, 
Um, it's a really different kind of literature from what we are experienced to today. When I read a book today, read a novel, I expect that all the detail in it, they're going to tell me. And I don't really have to use my imagination that much. Old Testament scripture, you're supposed to use your imagination a lot. Not really like creating fan fiction, although you could do that. I don't know, is there like Old Testament fan fiction out there? Probably. That would be really interesting. Uh, There is. It's Francine Rivers. There we go. That's what it is. Um, But it is. It's what's called meditation literature. So there's often a whole lot of, not very much detail, but there's all these symbols. And then these little clues that if you were were really steeped in the worldview, you'd be like, "Ah, get that clue. Get that clue. It's a really dense way of writing. So um, in the Bible Project, they've got a great quote from them. They say, this dense way of writing forces you to slow down and read carefully, embarking on an interactive discovery process through the whole biblical narrative over a lifetime of reading and re-reading. It forces you to slow down. But do we slow down? Or we just like barrel on? No, I'm reading through the Bible in one year, and I know people, my husband is reading through the Bible in one year, and I don't want to beg, reading through the Bible in one year, but... I'm not convinced it's the best way to read the Bible or the only way to read the Bible. You're just like barreling on and you're like, oh, I'm just, just getting through it so I can. <laughs> There's all these clues or echoes. Um, the Bible Project guys, they talk about it like hyperlinks, that if you're reading um, a bit of scripture, there'll be like a, huh, use that word. Oh, that's like a hyperlink back. If you, like a, you know, you click on it on the... It's, it's blue and it's got an underline, uh, that, that thing, and you click on it and it'll take you to somewhere else. That's what's supposed to be going on in your mind when you're reading scripture. Another way of thinking about it, it's like those pop culture references that you'll get in clever movies, where they use a phrase and you're like, oh yeah, I know that phrase. It's from that other movie or it's from that book. And and you don't just get the literal meaning of that phrase, you get the whole thing that came with it. Sometimes it just goes over your head. Have you been there? You're watching a movie and people are like laughing at all these jokes, references to stuff. And you're like, I have no idea because you're not steeped in the Marvel universe. So you don't understand that that little thing there or that little Easter egg they've dropped in a movie actually references that other thing or whatever. Sometimes it just goes over your head. If, if you're, it works really well if you and your audience are on the same page. Um, I think it must have been a couple of years ago, we did the Pride and Prejudices uh, preaching series. Do you guys do that here? Yeah. Dave and I uh, quite like period drama. Um, I am one of the very fortunate women who married a man who actually likes like Jane Austen and period drama. So I'm sorry, I've got the one. I don't know that there are anymore, but I got him. And, and so we started this Pride and Prejudices series. And I remember the first sermon they preached, we had all these like references to it. We had the music from the BBC series and all of this stuff fell flat completely. There were a couple of people in the audience were like, ha ha, got that. Everyone else was like, what are you talking about? We literally sent them home with homework. Could you please watch Pride and Prejudice over the week? Negotiated back and forth from the stage. They were going to watch Pride and Prejudice with zombies. <sighs> That'll do. So it works if you're on the same page. And the problem that we often have is that the, the lives that we are living right here in Aotearoa are kind of quite different to the lives that they were living back there and then. 
And especially when it comes to the Old Testament, like we're not steeped in this worldview. We're not like, we don't know the Old Testament so well that, that when that reference is made, we tug to it. We don't even see the hyperlinks. And so we miss a lot. So I thought I'd just, I'll ground this in an example of, um, of how this works rather than just talking in abstracts. So Noah and the flood, Genesis 6 to 9. You get this like quite super weird story where it seems like God just got too frustrated with people. They were all bad, and he's like, I'm done. I'm just going to wipe the slate clean, start fresh. Is that kind of like, let's just burn it all down. I can't be bothered cleaning it up, and then we'll, we'll build this house again because it's just too messy, that kind of thing. And you read it, and you're like, oh, what kind of God does that? That's it's a bit harsh. It's a bit harsh, God. But if you were reading the, Genesis, the Noah story, really steeped in scripture, you notice all these little clues. So Genesis 9.13, God says to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. As an Old Testament person steeped in it, you're going to go, the earth is filled. Hang on a moment. That reminds me of Genesis 1.28. We're right at the back at the beginning. God blesses Adam and Eve and says to them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. And subdue, oh, they're supposed to be filling the earth, but what have they filled the earth with? Oh, they filled it with violence. Man, they are not living out the, the big command, the big uh, mandate at creation. Oh, they've bombed. This is not just like a little thing. This is what it's all about to be a human. In Genesis 7, you find, so this is when it starts to rain. Noah builds a boat, the rote, the water comes. It says, the waters rose and covered the mountain to a depth of more than 15 cubits. And the waters flooded the earth. And as a person steeped in the, the value and the symbols of the Old Testament, you're not just thinking, oh, that's a lot of water, a lot of liquid. Gosh, that's a lot of rain. You're thinking, okay, waters, that's like the chaos. Jeepers, that reminds me an awful lot of the beginning of Genesis 1 again, where before God started creating stuff, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and um, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters you're like, oh, he's taking it back to the beginning. This is a restart. This is a refresh, a recreate. He's doing waters again. And what happens is that, the, so that spirit of God is hovering over the waters. The spirit of God, the ruach is the Hebrew word, because you would be reading Hebrew, so you're reading it in Hebrew, or hearing it in Hebrew. Probably, you probably couldn't read, so you were hearing it. In Genesis 8.1, so back to Noah again. When there's water over there, there's water everywhere. And God remembers Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock. He said, get in that ark. And he sends a wind over the earth. And you're like, oh, wind, ruach. Oh, that reminds me of Genesis 1. Back when the spirit of God, the ruach of God is hovering over the waters. And you're like, oh, it's not just, oh, there's a lot of water. We better get rid of it. We'll get it, you know, a windy day. Good for drying the washing. It's going to help the, the water go away. You're like, oh, no, no, this is the creative power of God coming again. He's re, oh, man, God is just going for it. He's going to make it happen. And then once the water comes down, all the animals are out of the ark, Genesis 9.1, God blesses Noah and his sons, saying to them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. And for this one, you're like, definitely remember this line. Genesis 1.28, God blesses Adam and Eve and says to them, same words, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth. It's coming back. It's like take two. Take two. 
And it kind of goes the same way. Because further on in Genesis 9, we see Noah stuffing it up again. Gets drunk. There's a weird thing with being nude. And you're like, oh, gosh. Noah, <laughs> Noah is the second Adam who continues to stuff it up, as is we all do. And the value in doing this kind of work is not to go, oh, that's fancy. Look at you knowing Scripture. And it, it, it bugs me when people teach Scripture in a way that just makes them look good or makes them look smart. We want to teach Scripture in a way that empowers everybody to go, oh, I can read Scripture like that as well. But when you see these links, you go, oh, I see the theme that's coming through. I see a God who is determined to bless the God who never gives up on, give up on us, the God who continually works his creative power, no matter how bad things have got, no matter how much chaos is there, God is going to breathe, he's going to send his spirit, he's going to create things in you, he is determined to bless us, and the, um, however much we stuff it up, despite our frailty and our disobedience, God's good intentions towards us, his mission for us to bless the world doesn't change. And when you're, so when you're reading Scripture, as an illustrate, when you're reading Scripture within the big story of it, you go, oh, that's what it's about. Not just that God got really grumpy with how much of a mess it was and he thought, just burn it all down, I'll start again. It's quite different, eh? It's all there, but you can easily miss it because we don't read enough. Or when we do, we read so fast. Or we read without imagination. Or we read without the knowledge of the Bible. Um, and when it comes to knowledge of the Bible, the thing that is most important, I've got very much got my teacher hat on today. Um, I don't, actually, let's be honest, I don't ever take a teacher hat off. Uh, it's super fun for my children, uh, my husband, any, anyone who's friends with me, I'm sorry, just doesn't come off. Um, when it comes to like knowledge of the Bible, the thing that is most important is not like fancy facts about, did you know that in Ezekiel, in the prophetic blah, 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 something with the stars, in the, oh, okay, I'm not really that interested in that. The thing that is most important is the big story of the Bible. How does it all fit together? What is the God who we see through the whole thing? Because it is the same God from right at the beginning to right at the end. Getting that big story is the most important. And so how do we get that? How do we get an imagination that we can read scripture with that is informed, it's shaped by and given substance by the world and the worldview of the Bible? Well, we give it time. We don't hurry it. We do the work of understanding it. We get ourselves a good study Bible. We do a course. I can recommend you a good one. We watch a whole lot of Bible project videos, which are, I'm going to be honest, amazing. Um, we get, get some good resources, but we also... We get curious enough to give it time. We stop thinking that understanding Scripture is only for people who are super smart or for people who are academic. Understanding Scripture is for all people. And we give it time and we chew it over. We chew it over. Uh, in Psalm 63, David writes, he says, my soul is satisfied as with a rich feast, and my mouth praises you with joyful lips. When I think of you on my bed, and I meditate on you in the watches of the night. He's talking about this idea, oh God, what you give to me is a rich feast, and I praise you for it. And when I'm thinking about you in the nighttime, I'm meditating on you. 
And this idea of meditating, this is not the same as like the, the Eastern style of meditation where you're like, I'm just going to empty my mind of all things and see what the universe presents to me. Uh, this Christian kind of meditation we're talking about is instead of emptying, we're focusing. We're not emptying ourselves, we're focusing on something. And we're called to read scripture like this. What's really interesting is that the, the Hebrew word here that's used for meditate is to mutter or to murmur repeatedly. Is anyone a mutterer? Anyone married to a mutterer? You can put your hand up. I used to be a real mutterer. Let's not like have a conversation about the thing I'm upset about. I'll just so bang pots in the kitchen. Uh, that is not a helpful kind of muttering. <laughs> that is not quite what we're talking about. But it's this idea that you're just going to say it over and over again to yourself. Repeat it quietly. That is the kind of um, what meditation looks like. I'm focusing on a thing. I'm going over it again and again. It's like a... Um, it's words, it's ideas, it's truths that I don't just go, read it, oh, that's good, great, going to get on my day now. I take it with me and I carry it with me through the day and I look at it and I say it and I ponder over it and I put it back in my pocket and I bring it out. And sometimes you literally have to, I would really encourage you this, if, you, if you've got a scripture that you're like, man, this is something I need to chew on, I need to get this in me, like these are the words of life to me in this season. Write them out. Stick them in your pocket and bring them out when you can and bring them out. For, I've been doing this once for like weeks on end. I've just got to get this idea in me because these are the words of life to me right now. I often will make a, um, a background on my phone that's got the, the words of life to me. Because then I'll, cause I look at my phone quite a lot, I'll be honest. I'm like, oh, that's right. My one at the moment says, he deals bountifully with me. Like, that's the idea. God, when God deals with me, it's with abundance. It's not of the poverty mentality. He deals bountifully with me. I was talking about this in class um, a few a couple of months back. And I was like, you know, carry it around, just whatever, like get a tattoo or something. And then a, um, a couple of weeks later, I was up in Auckland for work and I'm, was in class with the, the students on the campus there who I normally just see through the video screen. Um, people, someone said to me, it's like, I said, oh, it's Maya from the TV. I'm like, yeah, it's just like Zoom, but cool. Uh, one of the students was like, can I show you my tattoo? <laughs> and she had got a tattoo in response to what I, like my throwaway, come get a tattoo. And I was like, oh, okay, let's take the weight of responsibility, but more seriously. But there had been that, um, we'd been talking about in, Hagar names God, um, you're the God, El Roy, the God who sees me. And that was just like the words of life where God sees me. And she just, wow, I just, I need to get that on me. I'm going to mark it on my skin. She was like, and she had, the, she had got a tattoo because she was carrying the scripture around with her. And like, maybe if you want to get a tattoo, go for it. But it's this idea that you're going to take it with you. You're going to carry it. You're going to talk it over. I'm going to go over it again and again. And if we go back to this metaphor of Scripture as a meal, a feast, we're not gulping it down. We're chewing it over. Imagine a steak. You've got a big steak. Because when you're an adult, you learn, this is good, like, everyone's like, mm, yeah, vegetarians in the house, I'm sorry. Um, imagine a large piece of aubergine or something. <laughs> a good lentil patty. Um, 
you're not just going to like pick it up and put it in your mouth. Maybe if you're four, you're going to do that. Uh, and a lot of parenting is like, no, don't put that big piece of food in your mouth. Cut it up bite by bite. A friend of mine um, told me a couple of years back how he had been airlifted from Timaru to Christchurch Hospital because he tried to eat a piece of steak that was too big and it got stuck in his esophagus. And it was the most unpleasant thing that's ever happened to him. It was one of those, um, in the, at the hospital they were like, were you at a wedding with a barbecue? He's like, yes. He said, and it was like cheap steak and there was a um, paper plate, one of those crappy plastic knives. He's like, yes. He said, yeah, it happens all the time. <laughs> and he'd just been like, oh, I can't cut this any smaller. I'm trying to have a conversation. Oh, I just put it in. And it got stuck. Like, he spent half a day. He said it was awful. They literally airlifted him. You do not want this to happen to you. So with Scripture, similarly, we've got to cut it up. We've got to break it down. We want to eat it bite by bite and chew it well. Um, Adele Cahoon says, Like a cow chewing the cud, keep returning to your text with your mind and your heart. You know, like a cow, they turn it down and bring it up to chew it some more, put it down like this, a bit gross, but it works for them so they can get the goodness out of it. We need to be like that, chewing the cud with Scripture. So... Just make it super practical, like, how do we do that? What does that look like? Okay, using a lot of metaphors, we're talking about food, some of this is gross. What does it look like? Well, first of all, I want to say to you, make space for two-way conversation. This is a bit of a shift from thinking, I'm going to read the Bible, like, at arm's length, where it's just a, a text, and it's got ideas, and I'll, I'll think about those ideas. This is going, okay, like it says in Hebrews 4, Scripture is like a surgeon's scalpel sometimes. I'm going to let it cut me deep. I'm going to let God speak to me as I'm reading Scripture, and I'm going to speak to him, and he's going to speak back to me some more. It's the kind of thing you cannot do in a hurry. So slow down. Make space for two-way conversation. Slow down and give it time. And I want to encourage you, if you're a person who's like, I just really don't feel like I'm getting that much out of my Bible reading, just take smaller bits and aim for quality of encounter rather than quantity of text. So depth rather than breadth, perhaps. Way to do this, you get a bit. You read it out multiple times, you read it out loud, slow you down. You could do something cool and like draw it or calligraphy it or you know whatever if you're into that kind of thing. Uh, listen to it, ponder it, respond to it. The fancy word for this is Lectio Divina. If you want to feel fancy, just go, I'm going to do that. Just doing some Lectio Divina type. Just mean you listen to it three times. And think about it and let God speak to you, pretty much. Uh, this is a low summary. Come back to it again and again. Use the prompts. Put it in your pocket. Have it on there. Stick it on your fridge. Stick it on your mirror. Write it on the back of your hand. Things like that. But also, use your imagination. For Christians, we hold a really high view of Scripture. That means uh, we think it's important and we think it's inspired by God. It's not just words that some people wrote down. We think God is doing something powerful in it. And so we can, we can think sometimes, am I allowed to use my imagination? You are. You very much are. And when we, if we think back to what we were talking earlier about how the Old Testament in particular, how there's just, there's just not a whole lot of detail. You're supposed to fill it in with your imagination. An imagination that is shaped by the Spirit, um, 
and that is shaped by other stuff that you've read in the Bible, so you're not just putting like random things in there. Uh, a little bit like historically appropriate. <laughs> um, but when you're reading scripture, one great way to do this, and I, maybe this might be something you want to try out this week. One of the stories of Jesus, so the Gospels, first four books in the New Testament, they tell a story about what Jesus said and what Jesus did and how people reacted to that. But they're often, again, really brief. Like Jesus has this incredible interaction with someone and it's over in 50 words. And I always think, like if I was an editor, I'd be like, oh, okay, so you need to fill this out a little bit more. I want to see some character development, some more plots, that kind of thing. Like, who was it? Caleb, we were, oh, he's getting on the drums. We were talking last night about how he's never really gone to short stories because he hasn't time to like, you know, get really empathise with the characters. Scripture's like that, but even more extreme. So what you can do, choose a passage and then sit with it for a bit longer and imagine what would it have been like to be this person? What would it have felt like? Yesterday I was um, I'm just reading through John at the moment and Jesus, uh, at the beginning of John, he has the, the wedding at Cana. So he's this kind of his first thing, he's just got some disciples and then he and everyone is invited to this wedding um, and someone has poorly planned the wedding and has not got enough wine. It's like a wedding planner nightmare situation. And uh, something's happened, don't know how, quite what's happened, but the servants are like, there's not enough wine. The master of ceremonies doesn't know. And what happens is that um, Jesus' mum is like, Jesus, they've run out of wine. Jesus is like, it's nothing to do with me. This is not my time yet. There's all these like, metaphors about wine and blood and sacrifice going on. But there's also just the idea, I imagine being one of the, the, the servants because you imagine the background being like, we've run out of wine. This is super embarrassing. Like for the person who's getting married, this is so embarrassing. What are we going to do? And then this random woman says, oh, I'll let my son know. Is he, is he a, like a, um, a wine seller? No, no, he's a rabbi. Okay, that's weird. And then there's this weird interaction between the mom and her son, what's going on. Like what were the servants thinking? Because then the mum says, just do whatever he tells you. And you're like, oh, that's weird, okay. And then he says, okay, go fill them up with water. They're like 100 litre jars, massive jars of 100 litres. They wouldn't just go, oh, just get the hose and fill it in, because no one has a hose or a tap. They'd have to go and fill it up, fill up the water. And so I'm reading this and thinking, what would it have been like to be the servant in that moment, going back and forth from the well with the amount of water they can carry, 100 litres of water is a lot. So there's quite a few of them. So they're filling up back and forth time and time again and being like, what is going to happen? Who is this guy? We're just taking a risk here, but we're servants, so we just do what people tell us to do, but we've got brains, so we're thinking, what would it have been like for them? And then the moment where Jesus says, dip some out, take some out, and take it to the master of ceremonies. And you imagine the guy, he's like, I know there is water in this jar. I put it in there. And now I am scooping some out and I'm taking it to the most important man and he's going to taste it and I'm going to get in a lot of trouble. But he has it. And, the, and then the, the master of ceremony goes, this is the best wine ever. What? And just imagine the moment of that miracle for that, ser- for that servant. He's just seen an amazing thing happen. What does that mean for him? What is he thinking about who Jesus is? What is he picking up? You know, in that little bit of story, the servant is just this tiny wee character that you just skip past him. But he was a real person. He had a life, he had ideas, he had values, he had hopes and dreams. You know, you can sit with Scripture and imagine what it would have been like. 
What would it have been like to be the, the woman who reached out and touched Jesus' him? What would it have been like to be the, the mother who's waiting for her husband to come back because he's asked Jesus to come and heal your daughter, but now she's just died and you're just waiting? But you can enter into all of that stuff with your imagination. And I want to encourage you to do that because for most of us with Scripture, the issue is not how good the food is. It's whether we're getting it into us. And the sticking point is often the fact that the process of absorbing the truth takes time and attention, and we can't rush it, and we can't force it. We have an issue with hurry, and we hurry through the reading of Scripture. In Mark 4.23, there's this verse that um, Jesus says, If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Consider carefully what you hear. With the measure you use, it'll be measured to you, and even more. And I've often heard this scripture preached about generosity, and it does appear in other places where it could be talking about, you know, whatever you give in whatever way, it's going to come back to you more. Yep, that's great. The context here is it's just coming after the parable of the sower, and it's talking about how the seeds are the word, and they grow or they don't grow according to their context. And it's about the word. If you read it in context, it's about the word. And the, the Amplified gets this. It says, the measure of thought and study that you give to the truth you hear, the Amplified puts things in, in square brackets to help you go like, oh, that's what they're talking about. The measure of thought and study that you give to the truth you hear will be the measure of virtue and knowledge that comes back to you. And more besides will be given to you who hear. It's not the measure of truth that determines what comes back to you, but the measure of thought and study that you give to that truth. We often hear a great truth. You know, you're, you're listening, you're at a service, you're at a conference, someone preaches something, you're like, that is amazing. That is going to change my life. And then a few weeks later, your life has not been changed. You are circling around the same issues. And, and what's the problem? Was it that the truth they preached wasn't life-changing? Wasn't great? No, this is life, great life-changing life truth. But the problem is, what have we done with it? What have we done with it? And I really, I don't, hear my heart today, I'm not trying to harangue you into doing more Bible study. The Actually, the opposite of anything. I am inviting you to a slower, a less pressured approach to reading your Bible where you get to take time with it. Where instead of thinking, I need to be a good Christian, so I must read this today, and I must read this amount, take a little smaller bit, soak in it, and let it soak into you. And like I said, this is, this is about learning to not hurry to not you know, try and, and squeeze it out as fast as we can so we can get on to the next thing. Whether the next thing is the stuff you've got to do with your day or just the next chapter of the Bible. Sometimes you're like, oh, that was great, but now I've got to do the next bit so I can fill my quota and take it off my list and feel like I'm a good enough Christian for Jesus today, which again is completely not how it works. It's like... It's like we've been invited to a feast and the table is laden and the good things are on it. And it's not baby food. Like you are going to have to use your teeth and your knife and fork to cut it up and put it in your mouth because you're an adult now. 
You know, when you were a baby, people spooned it in. And when you're a baby Christian, people can spoon it in for you. But as you grow on in faith, you need to learn how to use your teeth because you've grown them. You need to learn how to use your knife and fork. Table manners don't really matter that much in the kingdom of God, I don't think. But you need to use your knife and fork to get it in your mouth. But it's like we've been invited to a feast and the table is laid in. But too often, what we think is, or what we say to that invitation is, I'm all good, got a couple of muesli bars in my pocket, I've got a thing to do, I'm off. And why would we do that? Well, because we don't see the feast for what it is and because we're in too much of a hurry. And so I wanna invite you to a feast today, to the feast that is in Scripture. And it is a feast that will continue um, to be available to you. It's not a one-off. It's not for just a season of your life. There is a richness that you will uncover again and more and deeper and richer over a lifetime of reading and rereading Scripture. This is the invitation that is offered to you in an incredible um, accessibility to us in the West. That we can have Bibles and we can read them is such a gift. But it's a gift that we need to receive and, and take the time and do the work that is required. So let me pray. Father God, we thank you for your word to us. Lord, we are sorry for where we have not taken you up on your invitation to a feast or where we might maybe have sat down and scoffed it and hurried off. Lord, but you know that we are but dust. You know the struggles that we have. You know how impatient we are, how pressured we often feel and how many worries fill our heads and our days. And so Lord, we ask for your help, Holy Spirit. Help us to love your word. Help us to be hungry to read the Bible. Lord, help us to read it in such a way that we get the richness out of it. Lord, because we need the life that it holds for us. And just in this moment, God, we bring before you the, the big issues on our hearts, whether they are the pressing concerns of today or the, the big things that we have been wrestling with for years. We bring those to you again and we say, Lord, speak, out, speak truth to us from your word about these things. Help us to understand what you, what you want to say to us, how we can see these issues in light of your word. Because we believe, God, that you hold the words of truth and life. And we need those true words of truth and life in the deep places. So Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, speak. Wake us early. Keep us up late. Help us to do the things that we need to do, that we may take a seat at the table and feast on what has always been on offer to us. Thank you, Lord, that you will never turn us away. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. 